Okay, can we talk real quick? Yeah, what's up? Have you, have you been watching David Lynch's weather updates? I have not. How long? Oh, like they? ten years ago, he would do weather updates, where he would he would report on the weather only in Los Angeles halfway through the day. He's back to doing it, and he does it like every day. And uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I don't think David Lynch has much longer because that man is looking frail. Oh no! Well, he um, has a big smoker. David, I know exactly. I'm surprised he lived this long. But David Lynch is uh, doing his weather updates, and they're lovely. But every week, he also does a segment called "What Is David Working On?" And it's weird woodshop projects. But like last week, he said. This week I'm working on, I'd like to, uh, he said something along, along the lines of, I'd like to uh, proudly announce that I've cons- I have continued work on my checking stick. And everyone is like, what the fuck are you talking about? What is a checking stick? And then this week he revealed what a checking stick was. <laughs> it's a weird fishing pole like rod with a green ball at the end of it and another in a string on the side of it with another red ball where he he points to things. He puts the stick on his forehead and he points to things and he wraps the red ball around the stick. And then David is like, I use this stick to uh, funnel my influence of the objects around me directly to my brain. So I try to get ideas from the rest of the world. You don't need a checking stick to get inspiration, but I like to use it. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) He's a fucking maniac. (laughs) Oh, David. And part of me is like, oh, what is this weird performance art piece? But no, it's not. (laughs) He's just a weirdo. Uh, (laughs) Oh, it's so on brand. It really is. But even when I was watching it, I'm like, this is so David Lynch. It has to be a parody. (laughs) But nope. The man (laughs) just made a walking, a checking stick. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So yes, I implore you to watch these videos. They're great. Okay. But shall we get into the actual movie at hand? Yeah, I feel this is another monumental task. So this one has a bit more ambiguity between the two of us as to our opinions. Yes. So let's, you want to introduce it? Yes. So this movie of the week on the BFI list is Sam Peckinpah's 1969 classic, The Wild Bunch. Starring William Holden, Ernest Borgnine. The rest, <laughs> Ernest Borgnine. I don't know. It's it's a 1969 western, um, very violent, uh, very atypical in a lot of ways. But I think we should just start with the the parallels here to the Sierra Madre because there are plenty. Yeah, I guess even before we get into that, I'd be curious. This is to hear your your viewing history with this film. And okay, if you want basic opinion, or we can just go into uh, mm-hmm. well, the I'll, I'll just go parallels. with I'll I'll just go with my opinions of it before the second viewing. Okay. Ever well back when back when uh, me and Jacob lived in relatively the same city, and I would see him, and every time I would see him, he'd thrust a new Blu-ray on me, claiming it as essential cinema. 
One of them was the Wild Bunch, and he didn't give me the Blu-ray, but he told me to watch it. I saw it at Zia, pretty cheap, so I thought, okay, I'll watch this. I know a lot of people enjoy it. I watched it about a year and a half ago, October 2018, and I thought that was pretty good. I, I, I didn't think it was amazing. I thought it was a pretty solid Western um, comparatively. There's a lot I liked, a lot I didn't like. Um, but overall, a solid like four out of five, pretty good movie. I can't remember the first time I watched it. I think it's it's been quite some time. And it might have been the very first year of college that I watched it for the first time. Uh, although it might have been before that. The first time I watched it, I said to myself, well, that was that was good. Uh, but I think much the same reaction that you had. Uh, not anything great, not bad, just good. And then the second time I watched it, which was maybe two years ago now, junior year, I declared it as one of the, the best movies I've seen. It got onto my best favorite films of all time list at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was back when it was 66 movies long, and I think it was in the bottom half of that list. You know, the, the edge. And I the last review I wrote on Letterboxd of this film was has one of the best first acts of all first time. First acts, yep. And mm-hmm. I remember I distinctly remember that. You didn't fully agree with that. Anyway, my most recent viewing, I have a, a new opinion too, but we'll get into that. So okay. each one of them has been a different reaction at the at the end of the film. So but yes. A lot of uh, similarities between this film and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And this film, like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, is very influential. So It is. It, it very much is. Lots to talk about. Um, well, what, one, of, one of the bigger parts of this, the uh, bigger parallels that I saw was that most of this movie takes place outside of the U.S. Whereas Sierra Madre is all outside of the U.S., but a majority of this movie takes place in mexico well it was filmed i think almost almost all of it was in mexico they might have done some studio yes. reshoots once or twice in in but, but everything what, even the what, part that is supposed to be america was filmed in mexico so it's interesting now what i appreciate about both of these movies is that in other movies that i've seen that has mexico in it or mexico is a big part of it they portray mexicans in a very specific way they're either the quote-unquote banditos the rough uh, antagonistic mexicans and then the women are like these sex symbols these these ethnic latina sex symbols both of these movies more so the wild bunch than sierra madre i think treats mexicans in a way that is comparatively a lot more concerned with depicting the culture correctly not in the sense that the you know the, their attitudes uh, specifically the um the general of uh, that you see later in the film mm-hmm. but these women these men they all look like regular people they're not crazy beautiful beautified version of mexican people like specifically in the scene where um those two guys in the wild bunch are having fun with the prostitutes mm-hmm those women are allowed to be beautiful in the way that they are and not in a Hollywood manufactured sort of way. Perhaps almost and a, I find a more that, modern idea of yeah. just kind of broadening that idea of beauty. There's not any, they're not specific types. Yes. It's not, you know, classic, uh, slim, fair, mm-hmm. not lit exactly. in, in that specific way that Hollywood typically does and all that. 
mm-hmm. not shown and to I, be I, angels or anything like that. Yep. And I appreciate about both these movies. I mean, obviously, the more antagonistic Mexican people maybe draw on a few stereotypes, but it's one of those things where everyone was shitty in the Wild West. <laughs> so I'm not going to call them racist for depicting shitty Mexicans because I think it would be hard to terrible. call either of these movies depictions of Mexicans as completely unfair. They they do draw on some stereotypes. Yes. But I think what helps specifically is that there are th- there's a wide variety of mm-hmm. Mexicans in both Treasure of the Sierra Madre and The Wild Bunch in that you see just kind of the normal everyday villagers going about their business. They're very normal people. There's not much hoopla around them. And then but there's also these gang leaders in both of the films that, you know, they do exist in in Mexico yeah. whether or not, you know. There are some built up kind of stereotypes, but they're they're more respectful than a lot of the movies that are coming out during both of the time during 1969 when this was made. And then it's even worse portrayals mm-hmm. back when Treasure of the Sierra Madre was made. But I, I will say this. OK, so just getting right to it the second time. I like it a lot better. There's a lot that I didn't like that I like a lot better. And I will say this. Pike Bishop is one of my favorite Western characters mm. ever. Mm. I love such a great character. He's an amazing character. It makes and it's one the of those film, things that honestly. yeah. My favorite Western stories. I've always had two that have jumped out at me, and I'm saying stories because it's not necessarily limited to film. Although one of them, Unforgiven, I love Unforgiven. I think it's one of the best screenplays ever written, and the other one which was hugely influenced by this is the video game Red Dead Redemption 2, mm-hmm. which has arguably one, the greatest Western story I've ever re- witnessed and one of the best stories ever. But so much of the Wild Bunch is in both of these movies. And I find it interesting because the the prototypical Western, the John Wayne Western, or even this um, uh, Sergio Leone Western has a very specific idea of the Western hero well, they're, they're not necessarily similar, I, but they're nothing like Pike Bishop. I would say that my favorite Westerns in general are those that blur the line between the fantasy of Westerns and the reality, yes. the gritty, terrible reality. And somewhere mm-hmm. in between those two, it's hard to balance, really, because you, you have you have films like The Searchers, which is very much a... a it has some reality to it. It has some kind of grit to it, but that's more to do with a character rather than the actual setting. And there's a lot of stereotypes based based around that yep. film. And oh, there's a lot in something like The Wild Bunch. It is a film that is both grounded in reality, in history, with Pancho Villa, who is this kind of background figure that really ties the film down to the real world and a real time and place in history. And it it's one of the very few films that actually acknowledges Mexican history and the amount of yeah. civil strife that happens there, which is just great having that grounding to this narrative. But there is, there is also some glorification of this in a very interesting way that plays on a lot of the... the, the tropes of the genre but there is you know it's not it's not all gritty realism there is 
some kind of but adventure. The, the historical, yeah, the historical aspects are what really draw me to it because it's very clear from the beginning on that this is the end. It's the end of the West. It's the end of Pike Bishop as, you know, rugged frontier outlaw. And I was listening to a podcast about this movie that made a very interesting comparison. Um, this movie is so like in between the the old West and the modern era that where this movie takes place, this the, the time frame of what the events of the Wild Bunch take place is the same time as both Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush and Lawrence of Arabia. Hmm. That's around the same time. Yeah. And they both feel like completely different worlds. But it's such an interesting time in American history where the Wild West is on its final leg. It says it it, it lays this out early in the movie when you see the cars. Mm-hmm. We see the automobiles. We see the glimpse of the cars. And then one of the uh, I think Ernest Borgnine talks about they got things like this back east that can fly. And it's very clear from the beginning that this is a movie about the end well, and they, I think that's what makes it so fascinating. There's a lot of what separates it from a lot of other Westerns is there's a lot of references and sometimes very visual depictions of very not Western things. Cars. Yes. Machine guns and <laughs> yeah. airplanes. These law and order. Is there an airplane? And, and uh, yeah. They talk about airplanes. As yeah, you, yeah. As yeah, you okay. mentioned. Yeah, you're right. And the the temperance movement in the very beginning this kind of <laughs> social rallying which is hilarious like by the way it's not it's not a western thing in westerns mm-hmm. you don't have the people of the town rallying around social causes there's no women's right movements in westerns yeah. there's no temperance movements there's no politics temperance really. is the most anti-western thing ever yes <laughs> because every yes. western movie features characters that heavily drink and drinking is one of the really interesting little little motifs throughout the film and uh, at least mostly yeah. visual it becomes visual near the end but it's i mean you're right this this kind of very specific time period and it's a film obviously this isn't a new idea it's a film about the end of the western era and it's a film that is playing on western convention and turning it on its on its head in a lot of ways and I think that's yes. a lot of the reason why a lot of people find it almost maybe disconcerting when they watch it. I know one of my friends, I, I recently asked him, have you ever seen The Wild Bunch? Because I know he was a he's a Western fan. He was like, that's a weird movie. I'm not sure I liked it. And I can see that reaction to this film yes. because it is very similar and very different in a lot of ways to Westerns in general. And it's interesting. This is, it's from 69. And yeah. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was also released this year, which is yes, yes, in kind of a similar vein. It's kind of a the revisionist more western. Western. I wouldn't say it's a revisionist. Yeah. It's modern. This one I would say is revisionist. This is. Oh, this is yes. Butch Cassidy is kind Butch of Butch Cassidy is yeah. Uh, it's it's I, a I, weird I movie, say it's, but to, it's to classify Butch Cassidy is re- revisionist in the sense that it it infuses a classic genre with relatively modern. Um. Uh, yeah. Whereas Wild Bunch is revisionist in its its structure, its its plot, its everything about it, is, everything. Yes. The the other film that was released this year was tr- the original True Grit, which is very yes. much a classic Western yes. film. So I think I find that very interesting. There you have this kind of very broad spectrum of westerns released in the same year, 
that the the old idea of what a western is is very still very much alive when this film was released in 1969 it's not only that the actual plot is revisionist the style is like a completely almost french new wave-esque way of executing the western well, mainly in the, in the that, editing yeah the editing specifically the editing is it's one of those, that's one of those things that from first watch to second watch i became a lot more fond of in the first watch i you can even check my letterbox review i found the editing disorienting mm. on the first watch mm -hmm. whereas the second watch i'm like okay i understand why this is happening famously the the, the two big shootouts the um intro shootout and the ending shootout in mexico um the way that it was originally shot like the way that um peckinpah like wanted it it would have like expanded the movie by like 20 minutes so the editor's like yeah, well, let's try this i can see that. yes let's there's a lot of overlapping of sound of visuals yes there is double exposure in multiple times this is a film where you know we often think of the the jump cut as the introduction of a new element to cinema but the way that this film uses fades like nothing no <laughs> other film which fades are like the original transition from way back when yeah mm -hmm. and yet this film uses them so ubiquitously for scene transitions that it almost it's almost historish of where it's using <laughs> this classic technique but it doesn't feel classic in any way yeah which is yeah. just shows you how much the because I think that that they are classic in the way that it's being used, the transitioning between yes. scenes. Like if you're just taking it on its face value, that's just a very classic way of, of editing. But the rest of the film feels so new in the way that it's edited, feels so vibrant that you, you can't help but look at those in, in a different way. Like it feels different because yeah. of everything surrounded it. Well, I was going to say another, another part of it um... – Another thing that I find interesting is that this movie has a very like exploitation grindhouse aesthetic. I know Sergio Leone in the years previous, uh, th this came out three years after the good and the bad and the ugly. He sort of popularized the idea of making these, the Westerns dirty, more realistic. Whereas the John Wayne type Westerns are very clean, very idealistic I think that's why that's another reason I love this movie. Everyone is disgusting in <laughs> this movie. So much Except so. for Pike. The the the, the, pro the weird prospector guy is just disgusting. The teeth in this movie are gross. One of my favorite little little moments in the film is Thornton, who is the the member of Pike's gang who was betrayed by Pike and is now mm -hmm. working for the railroad company to get them. Uh, to, to repay his debt kind of instead of being in jail and there's this great moment it's after the the they blow up the bridge and all of these the bounty hunters are, are camping out by the river and thornton just mm -hmm. wanders out of the the brush just covered in dirt and he he looks so tired and grimy but also very stoic in a western sort of way which is one of the reasons like it's it's like you're it's like it's there like th this is not any kind of hollywood depiction of actors they had to yes. they had to get him dirty for this role and yes. it, you know it's something you feel it in a way that yeah i 
this is one of the reasons why I love revisionist Western so much and Westerns of this caliber is that I don't, I agree. The thing that, that other older Westerns do is they do a disservice to the actual West and that sure yes. there's you're, you're glorifying it, but you don't need to glorify the West because there's plenty of glory there, but the dirt and the grime is so much more interesting too. It, it's, it's more, it's more uh, like reflective of the Western aesthetic than the clean version, which is another reason I don't really like high noon, mm. not to turn this into a high noon <laughs> discussion, but <laughs> yeah, that is just, ugh, it's so gross. It's so, so gross. And, you know, as, as far as, um, being revolutionary in its time. Uh, I know one of the other things that uh, I find interesting about the, this movie is that f- at the time, 1969, the test screenings and early screenings of this movie, you had people that walked out vomiting because <laughs> they thought it was so violent. And it is violent. Sometimes I love these doing this in particular with the BFI list is we're getting to see kind of this progression of of rankings from like a a critical perspective of how do people view cinema and then there's almost like this narrative to tell as we go down this list yeah and it's interesting that solo was the movie before this because that's also a film that is very when it was released produces this very gut reaction to people in 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 a way yeah and then you wouldn't necessarily seeing the wild bunch today you wouldn't assume people had such a gut reaction to it but when you start to think about it in 69, you know, it's still the, the 69 versus the seventies. It's like it's decades as far era. as film progression. Everyone is, <laughs> it's beautiful. There's, you know, what is, um, there's an old classic TV show. I'm trying to think of Gunsmoke, the rifleman. No, but sure. I don't know. It's just so different <laughs> and bloody and gory and wonderful. And the way that Sam Peckinpah, it probably one of the first people to really insist that guns should have the proper sound to them. That yes. I don't know if, if you read this, yes. that he they did the original pass on the film and all the guns sounded the same, and he made them re-record everything in order to have every like the you feel all the bullets. There's a machine every, gun. Every gun there's pistols, sounds different. There's rifles. Yep. Pistols sound different from rivals, which sound different from that machine gun. And yeah, that's another reason why I appreciate it. It's so here's my reaction to this film this time, because I think that's important. It's I liked it a little less this time. You did? Oh, no. But let (laughs) me. okay. this is coming down from one of my favorite movies of all time. So when I say a little less, I mean, like, it's one of the best movies I've seen, but not one of my favorites. Yeah, I got you. It. I liked it a little less, but I respect it a hell of a lot more. I found so much more to look at and to think about. And just because I, I didn't like latch on to the film as much this time doesn't mean I don't respect it as much. And I think I, I stand by my statement that this is one of the best first acts, but I think it the is. film, the problem I had this time around is that in the director's cut, because that's what we watched, Yeah, there's this t- moment after the kind of the stakes have been set the goals are kind of there that they the group goes to this little mexican town and then they go to agua verde mm-hmm. and the pacing kind of drags a little here and there in yeah. particular the there's this kind of party scene when they're at uh mapache's 
village and they're in the 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 steam room and then the other two guys the brothers are in with the two women and, the, and it just kind the, of goes like, on a little bit too long it feels fillery yeah. it feels like it's not developing no, the story in any way and i think that throughout the film there are little moments here and there that could have been cut and i think from what i read about the theatrical cut and the yeah. director's cut i think the perfect cut is somewhere in between closer to the director's cut because i think okay the flashback sequences which weren't in the original cut are mm-hmm. vital to how interesting no, I agree. pike's I character agree. is but there's some other stuff like though that partying scene that it's not adding anything of substance that i think could trim it down by a little but other than that yeah, I, think no, I, I agree you know well you know i Going into why I like this more the second time, and I, I'm just going to officially move us into spoiler territory because We're one of the there, main. Sure. OK, yeah, well, there we go. Uh, th- the main thing that I was um, that I didn't like the first time around that I didn't like this second time. But over the last few days, I've come to really appreciate mm-hmm. is that f- I agree with you that the first act is amazing because it sets up this um, th- these dual worlds of Pike and uh, Bishop, no, Pike Thornton. Bishop is his name. Thornton, Pike and Thornton. It, it's the first act. It sets up um, this sort of. It, it makes you think that it's going to be like a cat and mouse game. That Thornton is constantly um, following Pike, and eventually it's going to come to this, you know, interaction, and it never does. And initially, I thought, okay, that's kind of misleading. It's kind of anticlimactic. And I thought that the second time, too. But the more and more I think about it, the more I actually really appreciate that, because it's sort of emblematic of this idea that they're chasing this this idea of the West that is dying. And the fact that they don't get this closure, this conclusion, is sort of reflective of this idea that it's gone, this idealization that this these glory days are over we're moving into a new world and that's where i feel like thornton is obviously chasing pike for a reason he was enlisted by the u.s government to help him take him down i don't know they don't go into the specifics of it i assume it's like one of those cases of he got caught immunity is promised if you can help get him it's that constant cat and mouse game that i felt like was going towards something and it didn't and I don't know. I, I, the ending especially is just so beautiful to me in the way that, you know, you have Thornton just sort of sitting defeated. His purpose is fulfilled. They don't need him anymore. He doesn't have anywhere to go. He doesn't have anyone to bond with. His friends and are dead. Pike. His friends are Ooh. all dead. You know, despite all that they're, they've gone through, he still cares about. I think yes. one of the great indicative moments of the film that's so easy to miss is in the very beginning battle. Yes. Thornton when they meet the eyes to shoot Pike. But he yes. does it. Yes. It's just great. It's great. And at the end, when the old disgusting prospector comes up with a new ragtag game of old people, <laughs> and Thornton's like, you know, we got some work to do. And he says specifically, it ain't like it used to be, but it'll do. And that is where I'm like, okay, they never needed to meet because it's done. He was probably chasing Thornton. Obviously, with the idea of taking him down in mind, but also reconnecting, getting back together with his old self. But that old self is gone. And that's mm-hmm. another thing that happens in the movie when Pike's gang goes to Mexico, because they go to Mexico, I think, with the the idea that, OK, the Amer- America is gone. The American West is gone. We Cars are here. Temp- 
Yes. So they go to Mexico and they see something similar with mapache. Even even their the twisted and weird Mexican sense of government is still a form of government, and they realize they have nowhere else to go. And I find that very interesting. Certainly, the 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 pair the contrast between America and Mexico, where Mexico is in the civil war, and then America is worried about temperance uh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but uh, which. Oh, by the way, that is the funniest part of the movie is when that temperance guy is leading the temperance rally and he has everybody like repeat after him. And then he says something along the lines, I will not consume any alcohol. And everybody who at this point was very ecstatic was like, I will not participate <laughs> in. <laughs> it's there's some surprisingly funny moments in this movie. That's it's very. Yes. The, the great part about Mexico in this film is how subtly multifaceted the portrayal of uh, mapache is yeah and the kind of the specter of history on pancho villa which you know it it appears like in this film that pancho villa is like this this hero of the resistance that he's fighting for freedom or for more law and order that there are these bandits the angels village and his uh, comrades are fighting for but then you know that you know it's something that in the history that Pancho Villa wins and Mexico isn't necessarily any better off for it and I think one of the great that feeds into this idea of the west is dying yeah but at the same time it's very much a cycle of these kinds of outlaws are being replaced with a, a different kind of outlaw with the Ma, the mapaches of the world of, yeah. of um, cops and order and but these things change the spirit of the west is dying but the idea is going to go on and and as they leave at the end of the film as thornton and the old guy leave they're going on another adventure that's one of the things i like about the film is it begins with them riding into town yeah. in media rest they were thrown into it and you have to figure it out from there. And at the end, it's another, they're riding off into another journey. And it's very much a part of this flow of history, not, not just taken out of just a random event. Exactly. That's, a, that's another parallel to Sierra Madre. Cause I think the endings are very similar. You even have a laughter scene at the end of uh, the wild bunch. But the idea is that, you know, it's never going to go the way that you plan. Just, Go, do it go with the flow go with the flow of time you can't you can't stop what's coming i think that's a it's a very optimistic note to end on both of them and yeah also again that whole writing off in the sunset thing but i think it works in both of these movies so the thing that's really great about this is another really great script in terms of characterization and it's also one of those that it doesn't seem immediately great because it it, it fucks with three x structure in weird ways but the more and more you realize why it's doing that, it becomes great. So uh, now I need to touch on both of those because this is another film I think that you can kind of put into a five part, not necessarily yes. a five act structure, but a five part because it's very, it has three main action sequences, which are mm-hmm. probably my favorite parts of the film that are just so wonderfully created on a film level and on a writing level. You have the opening scene with a bank robbery. You have the central uh, train robbery 
and then you have the ending massacre. And then there's kind of like these two large fallout periods in the middle of, yeah. of those three. A lot of camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as the characterization goes in this film, it's it's so wonderfully subtle. And it's mm-hmm. everyone has it. Mapache. Yeah. I keep wanting to come back to Mapache because he seems like this very kind of villain-esque but he has there is not necessarily depth but there's layers to that villainy yeah of it it's it's a well acted and performed character one of my favorite little moments is they get the machine gun and he takes it out and and he has all these people who's trying to help him hold it and they're shooting (laughs) and then another great laugh in the film is he stops he looks up and smiles he's like how's he (laughs) reacting he just smile gives the camera kind of a smile picks it up and starts shooting again after everyone comes out. <laughs> and there's a there's another moment that he Pancho Villa raids the train and you see the the riders are coming towards them and he just stays firm. He's a very brave man for being such a despicable person that you can Yeah. You see why people follow him. It's not that he's just evil and people are following him cuz uh, why not? He there's some He's got some chutzpah to him, if I'm to use a, a, borrow a Yiddish <laughs> word. And you see another great motif in the film is the kid looking up at him and l- seeing the admiration for someone who is really despicable, but there are there is something worth looking up to. Yeah. And then that also plays into even more this idea of the cycles of violence that, you know, these the Western is dead. But this kind of violence, this kind of outlaw, the people who are looking up to these uh, guys, they're going to grow up. Little kids are going to grow up and they're going to have their own version of it. Well, it, that's that's like the first scene in the movie is the, is the scene with the kids and the scorpion, which I think is very reflective of the whole thing where you have these scorpions. It's a scene where scorpions are eaten alive by ants and then burned <laughs> by kids. Um, where you have these scorpions, these big deadly predators, relatively speaking to bugs, and they're not being killed by another big deadly predator. They're being killed by ants, which is similar to a society. Each individual ant can't necessarily take them on, but the collective altogether will eventually bring it down. Which, which is, is the end you know, when if, if we're to look at Pike and the group, they're the scorpions that, you know, the they're clearly better than the all the little Mapache's troops. But they just get overwhelmed in the end yep. by so much. And then to add insult to injury, these I love the bounty hunters, these hillbilly bounty hunters, <laughs> which are in most yes. Westerns, there's like the law and the order. And the law is honorable and the uh, the criminals are criminals. Yes. But the bounty hunters in this, the people who are with Thornton, are they're just looting. They're they're looting, they're losers, they're idiots. <laughs> and to add insult to injury these people who have no sense of honor are looting them looting the dead bodies of pike uh of ernest borgnine's character so much like it's just it's disrespectful to these people it's such so many layers that's that's what really gets me about the film yes and um you know uh this this idea of the moral ambiguity, which is another sort of thing about Sierra Madre, where we talked about these characters aren't all good or all bad. It's it's from the beginning. I think it it 
sets this up because the beginning, what I love about this movie, it just throws you into it. Mm-hmm. It's a shot of them walking the the wild bunch, the quote unquote like criminal organization. They're wearing the police officer outfits or the, the Mountie esque outfits. Mm-hmm. And they start this bank robbery. And then you see Thornton with, you know, all the other uh, bounty hunters on the roof. And it's very unclear from the beginning who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Because, yes, you have the law who is hillbilly, gross looters, but then you have the criminals who are very clearly committing a crime, sticking up this bank, that are, they're fun. They're fun to be around. They're, they're mm-hmm. a ragtag group of uh, outcasts. And it's, it never settles into good or bad. It's just consistently, these are the people, this is the times, judge for yourself. And another huge part of it, um, like we said with uh, the casting of, of Sierra Madre, these characters are very much emblematic of the actors. Humphrey Bogart has always had this darkness about him that I think plays really well in Sierra Madre. This movie in particular, it's a movie that very much deals with this idea of reconciling with your past, that the past is the past and there's no way to change it. You can just move forward. Shortly before this movie, I don't know if you know this, William Holden was in Europe. Maybe Europe? I don't remember. He had drunkenly um, killed somebody driving getting really drunk and driving his uh sports car ferrari i think and accidentally killed somebody in a dui accident and i think a part of what makes pike such a great character is holden has this look to him the entire movie where you can see so much history in just his face He's a grumpy old man, but you can also see in his eyes the rebellious outlaw that you know he was, even if the movie doesn't show you. I, I was listening to the commentary on this film, so I, I almost watched it twice, but I didn't quite get through all of it. I was kind of paying attention <laughs> yeah. to other stuff while I was listening to that. And so this is not an original idea, and I just have to, to echo it, that mm-hmm. obviously the opening credit sequence is great, but it's so... One, one of the best director credits of all time. Yes. Of where William of Holden says, if they move, if they move shoot them. Kill them. Or shoot them. Yeah. Which is a great line. And then there's it's just kind of emphasized with this sting of the music and it goes to Sam Peckinpah's opening credit. And it's, it's so deliciously, like it sets up the delicious violence of the film that Sam Peckinpah's like, this is going to be good. <laughs> William Holden has this great face that shows history and kind of guilt. And a lot of his character is about that guilt of abandoning Thornton earlier. Mm-hmm. And the the plot of this film, it's so easy to mistake the, the kind of surface level that's going on as the actual plot. But the the actual impetus of why things happen in this film are actually really under the surface and it's all really about William Holden's character coming to terms with the fact that he left Thornton behind and the fact that he is always preaching to his group you don't you don't abandon the group it, yep. you have to be loyal to yep. each other and that really comes into play at the very end when Angel gets captured Mm-hmm. And this kind it's of like a redemption that yeah, that he needs redemption, and which is ironic because it's a redemption of just mass murder. <laughs> but it's yes. it's yes. living up to your morals that you have always preached but never truly lived by, 
and that he finally feels that the, there's nowhere else to go and that I have to, to, to do right by what I've always been saying and by Angel. And it's a great moment in the end of the film, this lead up to that final shootout where they're all, uh, they've gone to visit the whores. Then the group is just sad, kind of silent. And there's not a word passed between them except for, um, I think it's let's go. And then one of them says, why not? And that's it. That's all you need to understand that, it, they're kind of committed to this this final act, this selfish, mm-hmm. this selfish act of um, immorality to protect well, their morality. Not, yeah, it's not only that they're doing this to save Angel as a sort of redemption. I think at also at this point, they're kind of like, well, America's done with us. Mexico's going to be done with us soon. We're not going to go out old and week if we're gonna go out this is how we're gonna go out the the west dies we die yeah i think that's that's another reason why the ending is so great um but i think what makes this movie interesting like i said before with john houston being a super masculine director working under the hayes code um sam peckinpah is an interesting guy sam peckinpah i did a little research on sam peckinpah he was uh, a world war ii soldier not necessarily he didn't fight he was stationed in china where he had gone on record saying he saw awful 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 things his father died when he was young so he was largely raised by his mother but his grandfather was around to make sure he was a very you know masculine rough around the edges man and you can kind of see because he very much idolized his mother and his grandfather so there's this constant wrestle with his own um emotions that came from his mother and the, the the typical man that came from his grandfather uh he was very much a man who was in touch with his feminine side to the point where there are rumors that he was gay possibly and i think you can see that a lot in this movie where Peckin, uh pike's character is a man who is wrestling with the severed bond between thornton and sort of answers that that uh that lack of closure with violence and i think it's very emblematic of who peck and paul was as a person because the violence he even he when he was shooting this felt uncomfortable with it because he thought that it would be glorified and it is to an extent it's fun mm-hmm. very like the the last the three big sequences the opening the train and the ending um, there's a lot of Tarantino specifically in this. The, the the final scene, all I could think of was the shootout in Django Unchained. Just the way that the blood looks almost cherry-like in its flavor. Um, but I, I don't know if glorifying this violence... I don't know what that does to the overall themes in the story. And that's the one thing I sort of wrestle with about this movie. I think it's it's a movie you can think about for a long time and still come up yeah. with the answers. And because there is, it's not fully consistent within its portrayal of violence and yes. morality. As opposed to Sierra Madre, which is pretty cut and dry in what it's trying to say. Yeah, although it does, it Sierra Madre also has that um, kind of, these characters aren't all perfect. They're not, Yeah, you know, 
like Tim Holt's character in that film. He's potentially a murderer. He's willing to kill people for, for what he wants. It doesn't. But uh, this film just kind of takes, ups the ante of Sierra Madre. It, it essentially is takes uh, Houston's severing of, of Bogart's head at the end that the studio cut. And is like, oh, let's just, let's just do that for the whole film. And so let's go for it all out. And on, on a more kind of superficial level, uh, on more like filmmaking terms, the central train heist scene. I all, every time I watch the film, I have a different favorite uh, central set piece, whether it's like the first time, the first uh, opening scene or the last uh, massacre. But I think there's something so much fun and intelligence to that central train heist. I love it so much. I think that was my favorite Which- part about this viewing. That train heist wasn't even in the script. It wasn't something that had they had in the story. There's something that they just thought, oh, we should do this. It's largely improvised, mm-hmm. and which blows my mind. From what I understand, Sam Peckinpah arrived there on the set that day and blocked it out there. And, you know, drawing parallels to uh, movies and stuff that came out beforehand, this reminds me so much of that. The train heist episode of Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Another, yes. another influence there. For, Which kind of I find interesting because th- both these things, the most interesting part about it is that it's a train heist where the train is stopped. <laughs> and it's about trying to get away with it without anyone knowing. Yes. It, there's, a, there's a clockwork precision to the way that they rob this train. And I agree that, that that's, that's, that's probably my favorite part of the movie. Emblematic. I think the film really hits its stride once they go to rob that train for the, the second half mm-hmm. of the film. In that you really see how intelligently Peckinpah designs a lot of the sequences and how the characters are written to be yeah. intelligent. And that's one of the great things is that you have Thornton, who is a very a cunning man who understands Bishop and is a worthy adversary, although they don't really f- clash all that much. Yep. And then you have up. Bishop, who is so smart about the way that he plans his his crime and that's his like his crowning achievement is that kind of central heist but at the same time you know you have the positive of he's so smart in the way that he deals with this kind of stuff and at the same time he's not someone who he preaches a lot but his main fault probably is that he doesn't always live what he preaches he's yeah he's he's a great leader not a great man yeah. I think that's what I find so interesting about him. And, you know, Thornton is the opposite of that, where he's equally uh, intelligent, but the people following him are idiots. So he has the opposite problem. <laughs> yes. Where his oh. problem is other people, and Pike's problem is himself. Also, fun fact for the people who are just interested, the man um, who employs Thornton, the guy you see really only at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, that man is a freak and he died in a very, very, very weird way. So I implore you to look it up. Okay. I, I will get into up. that now. Yeah. So the, the, the burning question is, Jacob, does this deserve to be on the BFI list? Well, along with that, it is, it's number seven. As I mentioned last week with Salo, mm-hmm. it's number 75 tied with many other things. On the director's half of that list, yeah, it is. It is on the AFI in two thousand eight. They did a top ten westerns 
Mm-hmm. It's number six on that list. The AFI on their original top, hundred the movies 100. is number eighty. Yeah, it's number seventy nine on their tenth anniversary. On the the Empire Magazine top five hundred greatest films, that's number ninety four. It, it was voted on for the Editors Guild the twenty third best edited film of all time, and like Treasure the Sierra Madre, it has also been inducted into the Library of Congress for preservation. Yep. So. This is a film that has a, a, a lot of critical staying power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the the funny thing. I I think Treasure of the Sierra Madre might be the better film. It is, and I think that that deserves to be on this this list. Yeah, I'm not going to give it a full on yes. I'm not going to give Wild Bunch a full on yes for being on this list. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say yes. If that makes sense. I'll, like, I'm not yeah, fully... No, I, I, I get you. Y- you would prefer Sierra Madre because it, they're similar and Sierra Madre does it better. But if it's a if it's a, a question of whether or not it deserves to be on there, if it's already selected, you would say yes. It has more than enough reasons to be here. Yes. And I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree. Um, as far as Westerns go, it's one of the most interesting um, not only thematically but stylistically, yeah, I, 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 I like it a hell of a lot more this time around. Hard agree. Put it on there. It it is a film that has in that has influenced many a movie. I think a lot of action of films movies. have been influenced yep. by it by this kind of last action battle. It's one of those first movies that really like builds up to this huge climax of of violence. The editing style too. Obviously. Editing quick, so so quick editing that you don't really you even like years decades to come a lot of the editing isn't that quick and it's only until much more recently that films are normally that quick of editing during action sequences yeah so this 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 concept of the the overly edited action sequence is something that i feel like isn't necessarily as bad as people say but what kills me as far as this style goes is when it is when you when you like look outward and you can see through the edited clips that this is basically a decently filmed, if not kind of badly filmed scene that is sort of made artificially more exciting by the editing. Whereas when you look at this, the the cuts are quick, but every shot is so distinct and different from one another that you can tell that this was a huge action scene edited down to a quick one. And it feels a lot more impressive. Whereas something like, you know, like uh, the Bourne movies, which are similar are like maybe one or two scenes edited to the to feel like many. Um, so this is one of the few instances where, rapid cut action scenes are actually very interesting yep so yeah hard hard uh, recommend one of the few episodes where we hard recommend both movies yeah it is pretty violent so i'm not sure it's everyone's cup of tea but, but it's it not it's by today's standards it's not like nausea inducing no and it when, when we're talking about solo again you know i think these these films have to have some kind of balance between thematic appeal cinematic achievement influence and audience appeal i think something like this that is off-putting to a lot of people a lot of people don't like this violence in films i think even if they watched it i think there's there's a lot still there to to look at and to like and there's still there are still a lot of people who 
like this despite the violence and not yes as so much it's not as niche as something like Salo is with its depiction of uh taboo things Salo is a lot harder of a watch and it came out relatively in the same time um so i don't think this is yeah it's only like six five or six years difference but yeah this is a lot more moderate i mean obviously if you're still averse to gore this isn't great but the gore looks delicious in the sense that it literally looks like a cherry pie yeah it's like cherry jam a few more uh fun influences from treasure of the sierra madre the the scene that i mentioned where all of the native mexicans in the village where howard goes to save the little kid it's echoed yeah. in in wild bunch where they're in uh, angels hometown and they're leaving and all the hometown is singing as they leave a great lyrical scene there's it's just so much that is similar both of them have like ruins of of towns in them they're they're both about getting the gold and in the end it's not necessarily that's not the end goal both are primarily yeah like i said primarily in mexico both are uh both have relatively older actors yeah this one both of them were filmed in uh they were both filmed in durango the province or the state of mexico wild bunch was also in coahila so more central mexico which is interesting because it looks a lot like sonoran desert here yeah so it's not too far off from from the landscape that we're used to uh, but it's actually pretty far south down into central Mexico where they're filming this. And yeah, uh, another another little film history bit. The the blowing up of the bridge felt very much reminiscent of the general Buster Keaton. Yeah. The general blowing up oh, the yeah. bridge with like the practical yep, yep. stunt, except this time mm-hmm. there's people and horses on it, which is a great yeah. practical thing. Uh, you worry for the horses, but they were all fine. Oh, so. God. Well, <laughs> were they all fine because the fact that they burned ants and scorpions alive leads me to believe this is not the oh, most peter well the ants and scorpions no they did not have a fun time on yeah, they're fucking, they're this very set. dead very but dead yes from what i i understand the horses were fine yes they might have had some some minor bruises on that fall down which is you can't get away with that anymore these days. Well, one of the most anxiety-inducing things to me is just seeing people and horses cross rivers with their horse. Mm. I don't know why. It's it's another thing that you see in like the the Coen Brothers True Grit where that happens. But as far as I know, the horses. I mean, horses can swim, obviously. So whatever, it's fine. Well, that was the Wild Bunch. Great movie. Hard recommend. Yeah, it is. It is very different, in a good way. So what is next week's movie? We have we're gonna review De Five Bloods. Yes, De Five Blood. I feel weird saying De Five Bloods, yeah. but that is how it's <laughs> like his movie De Blood of Jesus, which also has Duh. I just feel De weird, Blood but Jesus. that's great. yes. So The Five Bloods, the new Spike Lee film on Netflix. We're gonna we're gonna review that, and then our BFI film of the week is a film that I'm guessing Chandler has never heard of before. Oh, it God. is The Color of Pomegranates. <laughs> what? Which that sounds awful. <laughs> it is a oh, Armenian no. Soviet film. Okay, so our first Soviet film. By Sergei Parajenkov. 
I, I hope I got that right. It's a very avant-garde film. I think I've watched oh, no. the first five minutes at one point, and I didn't. Did you? <laughs> it is only an hour and 15 minutes long. It's from 1969. I, say, I, see, I see 80 minutes. And I think it's going to be interesting. This is the only film I know of from this area of the world, from Armenia. So... All, all I'm going to say is that the only time that we the only other time that um, there's been a movie that I haven't heard anything about was The Imitation of Life. So I'm very excited. Uh, well, let's let's cross our fingers. I mean, I'm curious. I'm curious too. into a new culture at the very least. Yes. I'm always curious when there's a movie that a bunch of critics and directors have agreed that is great that I've never heard of. But uh, hopefully that'll I don't think it'll be as uh, interesting a pairing as these two, but I'm hoping for the best. Probably a very random pairing. I'm, I'm sure it will be. We'll try our best, though. Possibly with a guest. Not sure yet. We'll see.